Thank you. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, anybody who thinks God's uh, got a great sense of humour uh, will enjoy this. Uh, will and I were at the same uh, college, uh, and both of us are quite surprised to see ourselves uh, in the roles that we are now, because at the time we were quite far from God. Now, um, it's probably quite difficult for any of you to, to believe that, that, that Will, who is uh, of, of a totally different class to myself, and I went to the same educational establishment at any point. Um, I wasn't in the catering team or anything like that, it is true. Uh, but it is really amazing uh, to be standing on the same uh, platform as him today. Uh, first of all, a couple of uh, things I need to say. I'm not an expert in mental health. Uh, I'm not an expert really in anything, uh, apart from possibly uh, uh, one-hit wonders of the 1980s. Uh, so unless uh, Nina's 1983 hit 99 red balloons is being prescribed as a, a cure for depression, I'm probably not that much use on this topic, I'm afraid. Uh, second of all, uh, I'm not really a speaker, apart from when I occasionally sort of line up my children and their teddies and pretend to be Mike Pilavachi. <laughs> I'm not actually joking. Uh, yeah, I, I'm probably better at writing things down. So those, those are caveats. In fact, in many ways, you're probably thinking right now, uh, I should have gone for, for the, uh, what the others said and, and taken that long lunch. Uh, but no, you, you, you're with me, so thank you. Uh, it, it gets worse than that still because uh, what I'd like to do this afternoon is make uh, something of an apology and, and a confession uh, of my own ignorance. I think it's, it's really good to apologise. I think it's even better to apologise when you've been an arrogant, narrow-minded moron. And this is a place I've found myself more than once. In fact, the story of my life is littered with the corpses of my social disasters. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I work for Premier Radio uh, in a wider sense. I work for Youth Work Magazine, but it's owned by Premier Radio. Anybody uh, know of Premier Radio? And uh, let me tell you something. When you come in in the morning, Premier Radio, they have the radio output on, and you can listen to the breakfast show. And at the coffee point, where I like to make myself a cup of morning coffee, you can listen to the output, and there's a button where you can, you can press a little intercom, and you can talk to the presenter presenter uh, on the morning in question was a chap called John Pantry. Anybody remember John Pantry? He was the sort of Tim Hughes of the sort of 1970s, to be, to be kind to him. And, uh, and John is playing a, a worship song, and I'm listening to this worship song, it's a few years ago, uh, and uh, it's a new song that he's playing on Premier's Breakfast Show. And it's one of those things, you're listening to it, you think, oh, that's, that's Happy Day by, uh, by Tim Hughes. But it wasn't Happy Day by Tim Hughes. It was, almost, it was almost exactly the same as Happy Day by Tim Hughes, but it was very slightly different. In fact, I thought quite cynical. Someone had just basically taken Happy Day, changed the word slightly, and I have to say not very much. It was like, oh, happy, it is happy today. It was that sort of, that sort of difference. <laughs> My album coming out, never. Uh, so so this, this, this comes on, and, and I was like, I was, like just, I was in one of those moods, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to talk to John about this. This is ridiculous. He should say something about this. So I pressed the intercom as I was making my coffee. I said, John, this is like note for note, word for word, Tim Hughes' happy day. It's a complete rip-off. And there was just silence. And then John pressed the button, and his little voice came back, and he said, well, you should tell the songwriter, he's sitting next to me. <laughs> True story. So I went and apologized. I went, I, I, I went up to the guy, and I said, do you know what? You don't know who I am because you couldn't see my face, but I was the guy who said that. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And as I said those words, I looked and I realized that the tattoos that he had were on massive muscles. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, oh, you, you dog. Which is, you know, 
Uh, you never want it here. And he, uh, he, he gave me a sort of a friendly weightlifter's tap on the arm. And as my, as, as my body started to sag to one side, I began to talk to him about why I was so sorry. And, uh, and half of my body went to sleep. So that was the first apology. Uh, very quickly, an- another... Uh, seriously, this happens to me all the time, if you know me. Uh, another apology I had to make. I, uh, I went to a friend's house. We'd had a lovely meal. Uh, un- unusually for me, I hadn't dropped any gaffes. My wife was still speaking to me. The evening had gone well. I was with another couple. At the end of the evening, I looked up in the... I don't know why I looked up. I should have just gone out the door. But I looked up and I, I saw uh, on the wall, there was a, there was a framed picture of uh, my friend and his wife and their family around. You know one of those nice kind of family portraits you can have done? And, uh, and so I, I looked up, and I saw it, and I, and I saw that my friend in this photo, my friend Matt, was wearing the most ridiculous, what I can only call sort of weightlifting trousers, like MC Hammer used to wear, if you remember. MC Hammer was the, the Don Pantry of the 1980s. And, um, and, and, and so my friend Matt, he's, he's lying down with these... These, these sort of weightlifting trousers, proudly, he's got quite large legs as well, curled underneath him, and his family all around. And I said, and I have to read this because I get it absolutely right, I said, mate, those weightlifting trousers are pronouncing your lovely chunky legs. And he said, those aren't my legs, those are my wife's legs. You know those stories you tell, and it still gets you, it still hurts. And so the journey home with my wife was not as pleasant as I might have imagined. It was in total silence. So, needless to say, I apologised. And today, I have, and I'll tenuous link over, I have a really big apology to make. I, I'm just going to assume this is just me, and none of you need to make the same apology. Uh, but I've sometimes been guilty of viewing the work that's done with young people by individuals and groups that don't necessarily call themselves Christians as sort of two-dimensional. Yeah? Flat, second class, below par, in comparison to what we do. Missing the point, lacking the vital elements. So that's statutory youth workers, that's the police, health workers, social workers, volunteers, and professionals. I have, in some way, thought of... These groups of people, these wonderful groups of people, as in some way two-dimensional, because we, we are the real deal. I, 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 I thought, you know, they neglect the spiritual aspects of a person. They, uh, they're two-dimensional because they only see the physical and the emotional aspects. And so in that view of the world, these services which don't, don't carry an urgent message of salvation through Jesus Christ right at their heart are second class in some way. And they're only to be partnered with on those occasions that open up an opportunity for the gospel to be advanced. Well, as I think we've established through all these stories, I am a complete pillock. <laughs> I'm sorry. Especially if any of you are here. I'm really sorry. And I'm wrong. Here's what I've learned. First of all, statutory youth and health provision does recognise the spiritual dimension to a person. They might not call that Christianity, But many professionals try to work holistically with their clients and identify with the concept both of mind and of soul. Second of all, these fields are full of quite incredible people. People of Christian faith, people of other faiths, people of no faith at all. People have been gifted with a deep love for young people, for for the suffering, for justice. And whether or not they know it, the work they're doing is advancing the kingdom of God 
Let me say that again. Whether they know it or not, the work they're doing can be advancing the kingdom of God because what they're doing is rooted in love, which is in, in turn rooted in him. Do you ever, do you ever watch a, a film and think, wow, that's got a... Do you know, they don't, if only they knew what a great spiritual message that has. If only that, if only that guy was a Christian, that film director, then that film would be amazing. Or, or a song in exactly the same way. It can still be a picture of the kingdom. It can still advance the kingdom. And so I've realized that God is active in the world long before we turn up. What do we read in Acts 17? If you have your Bibles, you may like to turn to them now. I, I've got to make an apology at this point, another apology. I don't really understand PowerPoint. I appreciate in the 21st or even 20th century, that's not really acceptable. So you have to read the Bible text or listen to me. Acts 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, which is a kind of senate in Athens, and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. We got that concept? Everything. Not, not just the people in this room. Not just the Christians. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. And then he he drops in a quote from the Cretan philosopher Epimenides. Probably. (laughs) And the quote is this. For in him... We live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So whether we recognize it or not, we are having our lives sustained by the God who holds the universe in his hands. When Paul says, he is not far from us, for in him we live and move and have our being. He's not talking to the, uh, a church or to a gathering of Christians. He's talking to the Athenian Senate and he's telling them, God is the person you live and, and move by, you know, by whom you live and move. And God is never far from any of us and is involved in everything in the world. So with that in mind, I have taken a rather narrow view of what it means to be doing God's work among young people. In fact, I'd argue there are many, many people who are absolutely doing God's work, important work, and and are either Christians working in statutory provision or are people who just wouldn't use this language of kingdom. And right now, actually, many of them need our support. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the awful um, news of of cuts, funding withdrawals, redundancies going on right now. I've written a bit about it actually in the editorial column of Youthwork magazine this month, which you have, 
Um, it seems to me there are some really practical ways that the faith-based community can, uh, can reach out and support those who are suffering uh, from these things. So that's my apology. Non-Christian work among young people is not two-dimensional. It can be absolutely holistic. It can have great depth. It can accomplish the work of the kingdom without any Christian ever getting involved. He says, we might have questions later. But that is only half of what I want to say. Because, and I'm not going to get too hung up on this 4D thing, because I'll probably look very silly if I do. But I I do believe there is a difference in Christian provision, that we have something unique to offer to young people. And perhaps it can be best described like this. When youth services look at young people, they see human bodies, and they possibly see human bodies with a soul. But in Christian youth work, we do not see bodies with a soul. We see souls with a body. We see that the the spiritual aspect to a person is absolutely central. It's the most important thing. And so there are ways in which Christian youth work is distinct and has something very different and, and valuable to say and to offer. First of all, we're distinct because we understand that the extra dimension to the individuals we work for is absolutely core to who they are. Spirituality isn't an extra part of someone, it's the the central part of someone. And that's so important because when we work with young people, the Holy Spirit works within us. And the second distinctive of Christian youth work then is the, the, the presence of the Spirit of God in our work. And the Spirit of God enables the kingdom to advance on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're distinct because our work among young people isn't just about personal growth or about finding solutions, but it's about eternal transformation. That's the key word. And if we look at Jesus' ministry, it's Bible time again. If we look at Jesus' ministry, he spent a lot of time working among those who suffered. And his approach was totally holistic. It was about body and soul. So uh, you don't need to look at it, but Mark chapter 10 Uh, Verse 46, and we read about blind Bartimaeus. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd who were leaving the city, I've read that wrong. As Jesus' disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, which teaches us, of course, that Bart means son, and therefore shows us why Bart Simpson was so named. If you've taken nothing else from today... You can have that one for free. Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man and they say, cheer up. I think in my version they go, cheer up, fella. Cheer up, fella, on your feet. He's, I don't know why Dick Van Dyke plays the disciple in my <laughs> retelling of this story. Cheer up, fella, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. That's quite an image, isn't it? A blind man jumping to his feet. 
And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. A few things going on there. First of all, it's pretty obvious, probably to Jesus, exactly what this man wants more than anything. But Jesus engages his mind, and he asks him to think through what he's saying and why. Jesus engages his mind. Then Jesus engages his body by giving the man back his sight. And then what happens because of this encounter with Jesus? Jesus has brought transformation in this person, not just in in the physical realm, but in the spiritual. Because what are the last words of that passage? Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He began to follow Jesus because of his encounter. And maybe that is a picture of the transformational nature of ministry that we can look to imitate. Engaging people in body and mind and spirit and seeing them truly transformed as a result. Transformed in terms of their immediate problems, but transformed also in an eternal sense because they see Jesus in us and they choose to follow him. And perhaps sometimes it's hard to see, that's all, that's all very well and good, isn't it? But it's hard to see how that might work in our own context. So I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories, uh, absolutely true stories, uh, of Christians in Christian projects which have partnered with local services uh, and have been able to be unashamed as well of that transformational distinctive. Because that's sometimes the problem, isn't it? That we, have to, we sometimes feel we, we can't be upfront about who we are. But here are some stories of, uh, to encourage you, really, some stories of, of Christians and organizations that have been unashamed of that distinctive and have seen incredible results. So first of all, uh, there's a church in uh, London which works with young prostitutes. And it's dangerous, and it's done in ever so careful partnership uh, with various local services. But what they do is unashamedly Christian and distinctive. They send women in to sit with prostitutes in, inside of brothels and talk with them, and crucially, to pray with them. And what have they seen? They've seen amazing things happen. They have seen women that have found themselves, you know, the women, women who are actually you know, involved in this project are finding themselves under police protection. There's a high cost to this, because the organized criminals involved are so angry that the prostitutes from their brothels are deciding that they no longer, because something has happened inside them, something has been transformed inside them, they don't want to be there anymore, and they're walking away. And so as a result of that, of the kingdom advancing, these women are under police protection. There is a high cost. But my goodness, what a story. Transformational, distinctive. And it couldn't happen without the engagement with the police and with the other services. Does that make sense? Hooray! We're nearly there as well. Uh, A second project. Uh, I know of another Christian project in a different part of London, uh, which runs a halfway house, this might be difficult to hear for some of you, a halfway house for recently released child sex offenders. And for obvious reasons, they have to be incredibly low-key about their activities. In fact, the the chap who runs the the halfway house told me that if even the the borough in which they're working became became public knowledge, they'd have to relocate it because there would be so many uh, people who who were in uproar that this was happening in their backyard. And it's, this is an area, child sex offending, which un- regrettably sees a huge uh, uh, amount of reoffending, as I'm sure you're aware. 
And these men volunteer to be put through this program, which offers uh, a significant amount of uh, other things, but also prayer ministry and Bible study. And the project's been running for several years, and currently, by the grace of God, they have seen a 0% reoffending rate amongst those men. Isn't that unbelievable? Transformational, distinctive, and again, it couldn't happen without huge input and, and interaction with the prison service, with mental health professionals, with others. Does it make sense? Isn't it extraordinary when you start to see this sort of four-dimensional engagement in action? When the non-Christian sector isn't seen as two-dimensional alternative providers, but as partners and friends. And when Jesus um, and prayer and the transformational power of God are still placed right at the heart of things. I'll tell you one more story. Uh, in early uh, 2008, uh, you may remember there were a spate of suicides in a place called Bridgend in Wales. Remember that? And uh, about 20 young people committed suicide, and there was a, a link between it and a, and a pattern that was going on. And so uh, a, a few of us involved in Christian Youth Work World uh, decided with zero publicity, I've never, ever written or spoken about I promise you, I've never written or spoken about it before today. And this was uh, more than three years ago. Uh, and a group of about 50 of us, uh, just through an email that, that um, we sent out just saying, would anybody like to come and, and journey to Bridgend and just go and pray with these guys? And about 50 of us went to pray with the youth workers, uh, the Christian youth workers there, but also for uh, local services, everyone working with those young people. And uh, so there was this cafe in Bridgend that was right in the middle of Bridgend. It was right by one of the biggest local schools where a number of the young people had committed suicide. And this cafe was run by Christians, and many of these guys uh, who had committed suicide were known to the people running the Christian youth cafe there. So we went there, and we stood with them, and we prayed with them, and we prayed for them, and they prayed for us, and we all cried a lot, and we prayed for local services, and then we went back on the train. And I am not for one moment saying this is anything to do with me for organising it or anyone else who, who went on that trip. But the fact remains, two things happened. One, as far as we know, no more suicides took place after that. And two, I get a phone call a few weeks later from the chap who runs the youth cafe saying, well, I don't know how to explain this, but we keep seeing young people become Christians. People keep coming to faith and we don't know where it's come from. You know, many local and national services were doing incredible work with those young people to support them, support the community in Bridgend. But God brought another dimension. God brought total transformation. Amen? So to sum up, there are many things that are great to celebrate and support and connect with, uh, which come out of places which don't define themselves as Christian. And in fact, God is already at work in those places, so we don't need to stress ourselves over any sort of sacred-secular divide. But at the same time, there is a unique contribution which Christian youth work makes when it calls on the name and the spirit of God, and that contains the power to change lives in every sense. Paul in Colossians talks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in essence, that is the distinctive you carry as Christians in youth work. The hope of glory on heaven and on earth. In the lives of every young person you encounter. Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ in you.
Do you believe that? It's not, it's not you that is the hope of glory. <laughs> it's Christ in you is the hope of glory. Isn't that mind-blowing? Christ in you. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much, Martin. So inspirational. Um, and thank you as well for bringing us back on Perfect Time. You're a legend. You've done much better than I have. Um, great. Well, I hope you guys are feeling inspired and encouraged today. There's so many dimensions that God is, is working and challenging us, I think, and I'm, I'm excited about what's going to come out of this and about what we're going to be saying to each other six months down the line uh, about what's happening in, in our churches and in our communities um, we've got some new seminars about to happen at 2 o'clock. I'm just going to remind you, sorry, 2.30. We're having a brief break now, so it's going to be 15 minutes uh, to get to your seminar venue. Chance to use the loos and have a quick stretch outside. Uh, just to remind you, the seminar in, um, in hall number 2 is Rachel Welsh, and this is uh, about self-harm. How can I make a difference locally? Uh, in here in the main hall is Kate Middleton uh, doing uh, Why Am I So Unhappy?, I can trust me, Kate is a very happy lady, but she's going to help you to find out why your young people are unhappy. And then Rob next door, just in the small hall, uh, doing uh, medication. Uh, actually, I should say, should I take medication? <laughs> just joking, I set that one up. Uh, so he's going to be there talking about whether Christians should take medication or not and uh, giving advice to you as a Christian psychiatrist. So we're going to have a brief break now. Thanks all for being so committed to the conference. And just to remind you again, there's a place here for questions for our panel interviews after our 3.45 break. Back in here for 4 o'clock. Thank you.